If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, today's episode is one that you will be excited to hear. We have got Ilona Doherty and Lila Williamson to share with us their thoughts on engaging young people in your organization and in your movement. Because let's face it, youth and young adults are engines of innovation. We know that the human brain has so much plasticity when people are in their teenage years and their early 20s. And we know that they're making new connections, they're questioning authority, they're thinking creatively. And this is the time to really harness that energy and that creativity. Ilona is the co-creator and managing director of the Youth and Innovation Project. She is also the co-founder of several organizations, including a nonpartisan social enterprise that educates Canadian youth about democracy and encourages them to vote. Lila Williamson is a first-year college student. She has been active in organizing protests within the climate movement and co-organized Climate Strike Canada that mobilized over one million people. Let me repeat, one million people. She is currently organizing with Fridays for Future Toronto and Climate Justice University of Toronto. Hey, Lila, Ilona, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I thought a good place for us to start our conversation since I kind of gave our friends listening this tease already. Lila, you helped organize over 1 million people, and that is impressive. I, I, I'm in my 50s. I don't think that's something I've ever done is organize a million people to show up at anything. Tell us about your role in this. Yeah, absolutely. So I co-founded both Sustainabilities, which is a local youth climate organization where I live in Vancouver, um, as well as Climate Strike Canada, as you mentioned, which is a national network of climate groups. And on September 27th, 2019, which was a global day of climate action, we organized a climate strike in Vancouver as Sustainabilities, which was the largest protest in Vancouver's history. And that was over 150,000 people. And then all of the Climate Strike Canada groups combined mobilized over a million people across the country. 
And when you all first started to say, okay, we're going to organize this climate strike, what were your goals? What were your thoughts? So, I mean, we obviously wanted to get as many people out as possible, but I don't think any of us could have ever imagined the turnout that we would have. I remember in Vancouver, we were thinking, you know, if we get 20 or 30,000 people, that would be amazing. But like, that's a really big goal. And then we ended up getting almost 200,000. So it was just, we had absolutely no idea how big it was going to get. But I think at that time, there were a lot of momentum around the climate strikes and just a lot of concern about climate change and a lot of people feeling like, they wanted to take action and they wanted to see governments taking action as well. And so all of that just seemed to coalesce on the 27th in this massive mobilization. And 10xing your goal from 20,000 to 200,000, that is incredibly impressive. And this is where I'd love to kind of bring Ilona into the conversation. You said something, I watched a TEDx that you had done. And so actually, I'm going to quote this from your TEDx. Our best hope of addressing the challenges that we face is tapping into the raw innovation potential of 15 to 25-year-olds. Yeah, it is. And I think I would add to that collaborating, you know, intergenerational collaboration, where we're recognizing these incredible abilities of young people to just go for it, right? And like, and again, I think Lila's example is a great example of when young people go for it, often they exceed their goals because they're willing to try new things. They're willing to take risks and do things in a way that sometimes as we get older, we aren't. But those of us who are a little bit older, I'm in my 40s, also have a role. And our role is really about being able to scale the efforts that young people, the bold ideas that young people have and support them in scaling those ideas, but also in accessing decision makers, right? Because when we're young, sometimes we don't necessarily have that access to power and influence. And so certainly those of us who are older can provide that support. But I certainly know, you know, I was in my 20s when I founded Apathy is Boring, which is a get out the vote nonpartisan organization here in Canada. And I just did stuff. You know, I just kind of took risks and I just was like, well, we're just going to try it and see what happens. And I certainly know now, having co-created the Youth and Innovation Project in my kind of late 30s, wow, I was not as good at taking risks. And it was actually a lot harder. So I think it's really important to recognize that while we're young, there's some things we're really good at and to tap into those incredible abilities. Ilona, I love that you really emphasized collaboration as well. And Lila, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything that Ilona said. And I wanted to bring other an example from the 27th, because I know that that climate strike, especially in Vancouver, would not have been possible without support from adults. So as sustainability teens, we were an entirely high school student organization. So it was entirely high school students, both leading and being members of that organization. And so we did all of the main organizing for the strike, but we had so much support from local nonprofits in Vancouver. We had something like 150 businesses close in support of the strike and donate various materials that we needed. And also we're able to get a lot of financial support from either organizations or private donors. And all of those things made our climate strike possible. And so I think it is really important to take advantage of this incredible ability that young people have to envision a better future and to just have really bold ideas and take action on them and take risks, like you said, Alona. But I think that what's also important is to adults and older people that can provide the resources to back that up. Because I think that young people do have amazing, incredible ideas and will take those risks. But what actually can help bring them to fruition is 
having adult support behind you. And I've definitely seen firsthand the importance of that. And so I think that's really another role that older generations can play is like, how can we support all of this incredible youth envisioning that's going on and all this youth activism that's going on and not just the climate movement, but other movements as well? How can we provide the resources that they need to be successful and what resources are missing now and what gaps can we fill? And so I know a lot of our friends who are listening are probably in their 40s, 50s, maybe even 60s and asking themselves, okay, this sounds great. How do we get started at both bringing younger people into our organization, valuing not just the fact that they're there, but really valuing what they bring and building that collaboration? Yeah, I can get started with that. And it's definitely a tough one. I would say the place that my mind first goes is there are a lot of really amazing youth-focused and youth-led organizations out there. And to be completely honest, I think Definitely for me, what got me involved in climate activism and made me feel more comfortable in the climate space was getting involved in a youth organization. So as I mentioned, I co-founded Sustainabilityans with just a group of high school students. And I definitely could have got involved in another adult-led climate organization before then, but I didn't actually get involved in climate organizing until I had the opportunity to organize climate strikes with other people my age and co-found that organization. And I think that we, throughout Sustainability and time organizing in Vancouver, had so many young people join us who wouldn't have necessarily felt comfortable joining an adult-led organization. And so I think that one of the most important roles that adult-led organizations and nonprofits can play is, as I mentioned, supporting those youth-led organizations and initiatives, because I think that it can be extremely difficult to make young people feel comfortable in a space that's led and mostly comprised of adults, especially in kind of like the nonprofit and community organizing world. And so I think that, yeah, one of the most valuable things that you can do as a nonprofit or a community organization is just figure out how you can support those youth organizations that are already in existence. And I think the best way to go about doing that is just simply reaching out and being like, hey, we love the work that you guys are doing and we want to support you. That's what so many organizations and businesses did for us as sustainability teams when we were organizing climate strikes in Vancouver. And it was so appreciated and so incredibly helpful. And again, was one of the main reasons that we were able to accomplish everything that we did. So I would say it's definitely important to make an effort to engage youth directly in your organization. But in my experience, my most powerful and impactful organizing experiences have been with other young people. And yeah, I think that holds true for other issues and not just climate change. And so that's certainly fair. And one of my questions would then be, as nonprofits were reaching out to your youth-led organization saying, hey, how can we support you? What can we do? What are some of the do's and don'ts? Because I would imagine there are probably some organizations that reached out and you were like, ooh, ooh, you thought to yourself, I wish you would not have done it that way. And there were probably some organizations that were like, yes, this is exactly what we were looking for. Yeah, so I think that some organizations have a tendency to kind of want to take control and take over when trying to collaborate with youth organizations. And I think that's the most important thing to avoid because, I mean, we've already discussed a lot today about how many incredible ideas young people have and how great they are taking risks and visioning and coming up with awesome creative ideas and solutions. And I think it's just really important for adult organizations to respect that and just simply be a support. And I think 
I've definitely experienced that there's a real tendency for adults to want to come in and sort of take control and take the lead and like have more of an input on the direction of the organization and what these young people are doing. But that is definitely an immediate turnoff and um, something that will not really get you anywhere. And so I think that the important thing to recognize is that young people know what they're doing. Young people have awesome ideas and will take action on them. And they really just need that support behind them, as I've already mentioned. And so as difficult as it can be, I think really trying to avoid taking over and taking control as much as possible is very important. And we'll make sure that you can have lasting relationships with youth organizations and actually do youth engagement in a good way. Because I know that for sustainability teens, the lasting relationships that we had with adults and adult organizations and nonprofits were the ones that just simply supported us and let us really steer the ship. So Ilona, I know you've gone from kind of being a youth organizer yourself to now being a little bit closer to my age cohort and maybe supporting and working with youth-led organizations. So one of my questions for you is going to be, how do you do what Lila just described? Like, how do you check that adult tendency of like, oh, I'm going to organize this for you or, oh, I'm going to go, oh, no, that's never going to work. So how do you engage those youth-led organizations and check that tendency? It is really hard (laughs) because as we get older, we want to assume that all of our experience and the bumps in the road and the mistakes we've made have inevitably led us to kind of wisdom, you know, and experience. And we've done the hard work and now we should be able to kind of appreciate that everybody should appreciate the fruits of our labor. But the research is actually pretty clear that sometimes experience is actually, it stops us right? It stops us from seeing things in new ways. (laughs) It stops us from being willing to kind of take risks because we're like, oh, last time I did something like that, this happened and I don't want that to happen again. So I think it's really important as adults, it's really about us getting out of our own way. And I certainly know that I haven't always been perfect at this. Sometimes I haven't been a great supporter and a great mentor. And I've been doing this work, this youth engagement, literally my whole career. So certainly that my own experience has made me realize just how hard this is. It's really often about fear, fear of change, right? We're scared of things changing, of us losing power, of us losing control, of things being different than we thought they were. Oh, maybe there's new rules to the game that I'm not going to understand and I'm not going to be able to thrive and survive in this context. So really a lot of the work I do is with adults about how to meaningfully engage youth. And I really talk about that fear of change, but also recognizing that to survive and thrive in an era of rapid change and complexity what we actually need to do is get really comfortable with change and the discomfort we sometimes feel with young people and them pushing us to do things in a different way or try new things is actually, that's exactly what we need (laughs) to go beyond our fear. You know, we need to sit with that discomfort and say, okay, why am I feeling weird about this? Is it because this is a really bad idea or is it actually because maybe this is a new way of doing things that I'm not comfortable with. So really it's about trusting young people and also just being willing to sit with discomfort. I think those are two really big lessons that we've certainly learned through our research at the University of Waterloo. And so you mentioned that a lot of your work is 
really now working with adults and helping them become more comfortable in this work. And you mentioned, you know, that there's this fear of change and also this fear of like, oh, you know, maybe I won't be able to do this. Specifically, like, what are some of the things you do to help them get comfortable with that? Yeah, (laughs) that is, yeah, it's a good and a challenging question. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is recognizing that we all have the capacity to keep learning right? So we have this kind of idea that our brains fully mature by the time we're 25 and then like our brains stop, but that's not actually how it works. Our brains are continually changing throughout our lives. So that means we have the ability to keep learning, but it also means while we're young, we're good at some specific things. So we talked about innovation, creativity, risk-taking, but as we get older, we get better at certain other things. So emotional intelligence improves, the ability for strategy, planning, understanding contextual knowledge. So what I really encourage folks to do is to continue to learn, you know, and be open to continuing to learn. And one of the ways we can do that is by collaborating with young people, but also to lean into what they're good at as we get older and also recognize what we're no longer good at. And I think just acknowledging, again, the unique abilities that we all have throughout our lifespan can be really helpful for us to say, okay, you know, I'm good at this. I'm going to do these things, but I need a young person, maybe somebody who's an elder, someone who's older than me, to be part of the picture as well. Folks with other lived experience, living experience to be part of the picture so that we are able to, you know, make decisions that really work for everybody, whether it's a diversity of ages or diversity in other contexts. And so, Lila, as you're thinking about ways in which you're working with adults and also with youth, what are your thoughts around like those fears of change that some adults might be feeling? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've definitely just been very much in agreement with everything Alona said. And honestly, it's kind of putting it in perspective for me because I think that I've always known that young people are very willing to take risks and like have very big, bold ideas and will just kind of go for it. And that's something that I've observed and what I think has been really effective about especially the climate strike movement, which was very much youth-led. And it's kind of all clicking into place for me now, like why that is true and why young people have that tendency and adults don't. It's something that I've known for a while, but it's really interesting to hear like the actual scientific reasoning why that is true. But yeah, I definitely agree. It's, It's absolutely something that I've observed, as I mentioned. And I think this is why intergenerational collaboration is really important is because Young people, yes, bring some certain really amazing skills to movements and nonprofit organizations, but there's also a lot of areas in which young people lack. And there were a lot of challenges with being part of an organization that was entirely comprised of high school students and led by high school students. And definitely the emotional intelligence thing very much resonated with me and how that's kind of missing from young people sometimes. And there's just a level of maturity and life experience and pragmatism that's just not present in a lot of young people, especially when they're in high school. And so I think that you really have to strike a fine balance between not being resistant to change, but also at some point, you do have to be a little bit pragmatic and kind of have your feet on the ground and realize when something is just unrealistic and is not going to happen and is maybe not a good use of energy. And so I think that it's important to recognize that while adults, yes, do need to be a little bit more comfortable with change and kind of sit in that discomfort, at the same time, some of that can be an asset and some of that can be useful to counterbalance this tendency that young people have to just completely go for it without really taking a lot of other things into consideration. And so I think 
that's again that's what's so awesome about collaboration between young people and older people is that you get to benefit from both of those different skill sets and I think that if you can find some sort of middle ground between those two mindsets towards change that can lead to a lot of success it's interesting you use the word counterbalance because that's that was the word that was in my head too. And I was kind of playing with that word. And in Climate Strike Canada and other movement and organizing activities that you've done with young people, what are some of the ways that you have counterbalanced? Maybe, oh, maybe, as you said, like maybe the emotional intelligence is not quite, you know, where it would be, or, you know, maybe it's not quite pragmatic enough. How have you counterbalanced that? That's a great question. Hard question, because I think Something that I definitely struggle with personally is the fact that I know and I've experienced how powerful entirely youth-led organizations and organizations that are entirely made up of youth can be and how much they can accomplish. But on the other hand, they can be so incredibly challenging. And just not having some sort of mature adult presence in a room can be really, really difficult. And often a lot of like interpersonal conflict and things that just aren't necessarily related to the actual work that's being done get in the way of being successful as an organization. And so I think that definitely one of the ways that we've tried to counterbalance that is by working with adults. So maybe just like consulting with adult organizers about our ideas and getting their advice. And I think mentorship is a really great way also to counterbalance because you can still have your own direction as a youth organization. But if you reach out to older adults who have experience in whatever movement you're organizing in for mentorship and feedback and advice, that can be really helpful. And that can just keep you a little bit more in reality and being a little bit more realistic and just kind of aware of the fact that, you know, some of these things have been tried before with limited success or whatever it may be in the situation. And so I think that's maybe another really important role that older people and adults can play when we talk about youth engagement is mentorship. So not just providing resources, but also providing advice and feedback on what young people are doing and not being like, oh, you should do this or you shouldn't do this, but just being like, here's my experience, do with it what you will. Here's the advice I would give you. But at the end of the day, you're on your own, you can do what you want. But I think that another one of the most valuable ways in which we engaged with adult organizers was just really drawing on the experience that they do have because that is really valuable and having decades of organizing experience in a movement and having seen the movement progress through a number of different forms and stages is incredibly valuable knowledge to tap into and so I think it's again important not to discount that and to to utilize that to help with youth engagement. So Lyla there was a point at which I smiled really broad and the reason is you mentioned interpersonal issues sometimes interfere. And what I thought to myself is, you know, I've worked with a lot of boards, primarily adults on the boards. I don't think that the interpersonal issues interfering with getting something done is only a youth thing. I think there's a lot of adults that stumble and trip on that as well. Let me just say. (laughs) That is good to hear. That's good to hear. I think, I mean, I think the difference with youth organizations is there's just a maturity level that's kind of across the board, not totally there. But then again, I think that probably also applies to some adult organizations too. So yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I would just add, if I may, that I think counterbalancing is, it can be a helpful kind of way of thinking about it. But we also need to recognize that there is a power differential between adults and young people. In Western society at this moment in history, we tend to have this idea that while you're young, you're supposed to learn. And the job of adults is to kind of stuff the heads of young people full of information. And then eventually, when you kind of hit some random point in your life where you've been deemed kind of, you've learned enough, 
that then you can contribute, right? That's kind of how our society is set up. And I certainly know, so I'm 42 now, but I felt like a young professional, quote unquote, into my late 30s, right? I felt like I was not really allowed to be like a full adult, even though I, you know, I was like in my late 30s. So I think it's really important for us to recognize that the way Western society is kind of set up, we hold young people back from actually making a meaningful impact. Like again, education keeps getting extended longer and longer. There's lots of ways that we hold people back and there's lots of ways that adults exert power over young people. So, so absolutely. Yes. You know, youth led movements need to tap into the abilities of adults, but it's really on adults to recognize when they walk into a room with young people, they have more power than those young people in most cases. And so really being conscious of that and saying, okay, what am I going to do with this power, right? Am I going to use it to try to control and tell these young people what they need to do and what they should do? Or am I going to, as Lila said, like offer advice and say, hey, this is my experience, you know, take it or leave it, right? So I think in all of our work in the nonprofit sector, right, power underlies kind of everything that we do. And I think in intergenerational work, it gets amplified and especially young people who might be from equity deserving groups, from, you know, marginalized communities, those young people then are even more at a power deficit. I just think it's really important to recognize that. Ilona, I'm so glad that you said that. And one of the things actually I was thinking about as you were speaking is you're right. I mean, very much in working with young people, those of us that are older have a privilege of age that we probably don't fully recognize. Yeah. And the funny thing is, and this is where the contradiction is, and I think we get a little hung up, is in some ways our culture really overvalues youth, right? So beauty, (laughs) sports ability, right? Like physical strength, you know? So as we get older, we kind of get jealous (laughs) of young people in certain kind of physical attributes that they have. And so it's weird to us to be like, yeah, but they're young and can run fast and all this stuff. So, you know, it seems weird that they wouldn't have power. But in fact, when it comes to contributing and making an impact, we really hold young people back. So I think it's important to recognize that our notion of what it means to be young is extremely confused in Western culture. And we need to kind of piece it apart and figure out what's going on in terms of how we're thinking about our own youth, right? maybe our kids, and also at the same time, how we're thinking about our elders, right? Because the way we treat young people is often mirrored with the way we will be treated at the end of our lives, which is a sense of you're not really that useful for society. You're only useful when you're kind of like 35 to 55, you know, because you're economically productive and before or after, eh, you know, you don't have that much value. So, so I think if we, as we get older, want to really be valued as elders, we need to value young people. 
That is well said. And I'm actually, I'm going to lay it down there so that we can go to the off the map question. And I'll share with you, whenever there are two people guesting at the same time, the off the map question is a little bit harder and it becomes a little bit more generic. Um, but I've done a little bit of research on both of you. And of course, you know, we do a little survey and I've seen the answers on the survey. So I'd be curious if each of you might like to share how you spend your downtime when you're not helping to organize and collaborate with young people. I can start off with that one. I think for me, I mean, so I'm from Vancouver, BC, and definitely as a climate activist, but also just as a person who's from the West Coast, I have a huge appreciation for spending time outdoors. So for me, I love my downtime doing anything outside. I love running. I'm also on the rowing team at U of T. So just being outside and moving my body in some way is for me a great use of downtime. And I'm really happy to be back in Vancouver for the summer and to be able to go hiking and swimming in the ocean and all those things that I love. I will say I'm actually, I'm really jealous of where you're located geographically because, yeah, it is kind of the perfect place to be outdoors. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Ilona, how about you? Yeah, I was just going to say I grew up in the Yukon, which is basically beside Alaska. And so I'm also jealous uh, as I'm in the eastern Canada now of where Lila is. So I've had a very kind of wacky career path. And my undergraduate degree was actually in contemporary dance. So yeah, kind of wacky. And so when I'm in my downtime, it's a lot of focused on art because I still really love the performing arts. I'm on the board of an amazing experimental opera company here in Toronto called Against the Grain Theatre. So I just go to like lots of art shows, dance, theater, opera, all that kind of stuff. And I just feel like it feeds my soul. But I also just bought a paddleboard and I'm about a 10 minute drive to Lake Ontario. So I'm right by Great Lake. And so I'm really excited this summer to spend a lot of time on the paddleboard. Oh my gosh, that sounds like an awesome way to spend the summer. Yes, I think it will be. Yeah, we have Toronto. It's pretty incredible. Like, even though this is a big city, we've got lots of good kind of access to nature, which I really appreciate. Well, Lila, Ilona, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And I always want to leave our listeners with ways to connect with you. And so, my friends, if you would like to find out more about Ilona's Youth and Innovation Project, you can go to waterloo.ca forward slash youth dash and dash innovation. And we, of course, will link to that in our show notes. And while you are there, you can check out their latest publications. And if you would like more information about the project that Lila is currently working on, Fridays for Future Toronto, then you can go to fridaysforfutureto.org. And again, Lila, Ilona, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. This was such a great conversation. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. This was awesome. All right, my friends, I know a couple of those URLs were long, but you probably remember SuccessfulNonprofits.com. So if you want to get to those links, you can just go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and check out the show notes from today's episode. And while you're thinking about today's episode, I would sincerely appreciate it if there was someone who you thought would benefit from it. Maybe it's someone inside your organization or a member of your board, then please share this episode with them. And while you're at it, I'd like for you to consider rating and reviewing the podcast. Also, as you know, 
I like to suggest other episodes that you might find useful if this was one that really met a need for you today. The first one is episode 79, and that is kind of going in the Wayback Machine. Episode 79, it's Community Engagement Over Community Outreach with Doug Borwick. And the second is a little more recent, episode 252, Inclusive and Effective Decision-Making with Mike Chicarone. That, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And you know, I never really liked doing the disclaimer until I just started to throw the text for the disclaimer into chat GPT and say, hey, give me the disclaimer this way or that way. So with the tip of a hat to the illustrious Gwendolyn Brooks, let us engage in a poetic disclaimer. In the world of numbers and law, I hold no post. Neither accountant nor attorney can I boast. My voice and thoughts in this podcast they unfurl. In the realm of tax and legal advice, I am no pearl. This consulting practice, with its broad insights, offers no tax, legal, or accounting lights. The knowledge we share, though it may sound precise, it is not professional legal or tax advice. Our podcast is a symphony of informational tones, a garden where curiosity grows and roams. But remember, dear listener, in all your affairs, to rely not on us for your accounting or legal cares. And thus we end with a sincere, hearty cheer. May your pursuits of success bring you here to the realm of accountants and lawyers in your area do scout. This, dear listeners, is what our disclaimer is all about.